Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Up you go. Give them a hand as they go to class. Big thanks to the teachers. Oh, we are blessed. Hey, uh, speaking of ministries, we've got Neil and Danette Childs coming in next month. The, was it 11th, I think? Is that a Sunday? So yeah, be the 11th then. But they'll just be here in the morning. They, they are unable to, to they, we, last uh, several times we've had them in, they'll do a morning session and an evening session. But uh, Toby, their youngest, is registering at ORU the, the next day. And so they've got to travel. They've got to leave right after church or right after lunch and head on down to Tulsa. But you'll want to be here for that. And of course, come prepared to be a blessing. VBS, we are taking registrations right up to VBS. I need you to share, share, share. Do you go to the Facebook uh, event and just hit share, and let's just kind of saturate uh, Facebook with that event. I think we've already had some responses. Uh, I know, well, I know we've had. We've had some responses to that this week. I haven't seen the, the, the names or anything. I just get a count. But uh, that really is a fairly effective way of getting the word out. And, of course, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, and any random children you see. Now, um, go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians. I know a lot of people are excited about this. Philippians is a favorite that's jam-packed with memory verses. We heard two of them just today during the offering message. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And uh, what was the other one? I can do all things through Christ. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Yeah. And uh, to live is Christ. To die is gain. All those in Philippians and many more. And uh, I'll give you a little background before we start teaching through it. The, uh, it's a really, it's a warm, friendly, personal letter, and that's because Paul had a relationship with the Philippian Christians that was warmer and more personal uh, than with any other church. And that's saying a lot, considering the time he spent in Corinth, the time he spent in Ephesus. And if you remember uh, back to the book of Acts, you're, uh, they were, Paul was on his missionary journey, and uh, he had a dream, or a night vision, actually, of a man saying to him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And this is what got them heading that direction. And they arrived in Philippi, a city in Macedonia. And apparently, you, know, you remember this, uh, I'm sure you do, and, and you've probably read Acts since we talked about it uh, in here. But when Paul would go into a new city, the first place he always went was where? Synagogue, yeah. He sought out the Jews, and would share the gospel and, and would do that as long as they allowed him to. And uh, just as often as not, at least, he'd get kicked out, uh, you know, receive the left foot of fellowship from the Jews and start preaching to the Gentiles. Uh, but wherever he went, whoever he's with, he preached the gospel. But he always sought out a synagogue first. Doesn't look like there was a synagogue in Philippi. To find Jewish believers, he went down, to, said, down by the river where there was a gathering. 
And that's where they met Lydia. Lydia, who was the first convert in Philippi. She was actually a, uh, a proselyte. She, had, she was a, a Gentile who had been converted to Judaism. And now she embraces Christ along with her household. Her whole family gets saved. And she entreats Paul and Silas to stay with her. So they stay in Lydia's house for a while. And it's right after that that we read a pretty famous episode. They're walking through the city, sharing the gospel. And there's this uh, slave girl, this servant girl, who has the spirit of divination. And her masters are making a lot of money using her as a fortune teller. And she's walking around, following Paul around, saying these men are servants of the Most High God, but she's doing it through a spirit of divination. This goes on for days, till Paul finally gets fed up, turns around and casts the demon out of this girl. And as a result, her owners, who have just lost a significant income, they take him before the magistrates, and Paul and Silas are beaten with rods and thrown in prison. Not just thrown in prison, but shackled. Uh, They are locked up and they are singing praises to God at midnight when an earthquake comes that God sends and the prison is wrecked and the chains fall off their feet and the jailer is at the point of suicide because he has been commissioned to hold these guys and now their chains are off. He assumes everybody's gone and Paul says, don't kill yourself. We haven't gone anywhere. We're still here. But you know we don't have to be. And so the, the jailer who is really impressed with this whole event, invites them to his house. He cleans their wounds and uh, washes them and tells them, begs them, tell me how I can be saved. And uh, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your family. So this whole family is baptized. And so now we've got at least the jailer and his family and Lydia and her family. So we've got a church in Philippi. And uh, I don't know, I can't remember, or don't just never knew how long he stayed there, but they split for Thessalonica after that. They go on down the coast toward Thessalonica. But it looks like, although it doesn't specify, that Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, he stayed in Philippi and pastored this church during its growing season. We, we assume that uh, because Luke is writing about this whole event in, the, in what we call the we passages. We did this, we went there, we did this, we saw this, we met these people. And then, uh, as it continues recording Paul's journey, after he leaves for Thessalonica, he starts writing they. Luke is no longer with them. And there's, a, there's, a, there's some pretty broad agreement, although again, we can't be sure, that Luke simply stayed there for a while, remained behind in, in Philippi and pastored this church, led them for a while. And uh, anyway... Uh, through all of these things, the church there in, Phil- in Philippi blossomed. It prospered and it remained connected, closely connected to Paul and his ministry. They stayed in touch and they had a very, very tight relationship. And when Paul was writing to the Corinthians about an offering uh, and the support he'd been receiving, he mentioned specifically how generous, is, how generous the churches in Macedonia had been. And he mentions this to the Corinthians as a way of spurring them to give. Uh, Yeah, these churches in Macedonia, they were really good to me. And he's taking up an offering as he's writing this. And uh, this churches uh, in Macedonia are Philippi and along with Thessalonica and Berea. So he opens the letter like this. 
in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, along, uh, in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to note that in every one of Paul's letters, and you, we've talked about this before, they kind of did backwards. We would, we would say our, our greetings to the, to the people, and then we would sign the letter at the end. They opened their letters with an, with an identification. This is Paul writing to you. And in every one of Paul's letters, except to the Thessalonians and Philippians, he starts with Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or something very similar to that. Paul, uh, as we know, he, he wrote a chunk about it in Corinthians where he is defending his apostleship. He had to do that from time to time. And he had to remind some of the people he was writing to that he was writing with apostolic authority. Nothing wrong with that. He simply didn't have to do that with the Philippians because he was writing everything just out of uh, this bond of love. He knew they were going to receive his words no matter what he wrote because they knew him, he knew them, they were connected. He didn't have to stand on his apostleship. Uh, in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you, for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I like this, you know, uh, and this is something we, we see similar things uh, in some of his other letters, but when he... Uh, Every time, he thanks, every time he thinks of them, he thanks God for them. And it is good, good, good to have people like that in your life. You know, we're, we're commanded, not just encouraged, but commanded to pray for all men everywhere. To pray for our enemies, right? And there's some people when you think of, they're unpleasant. Maybe you have to meet with somebody that you're not looking forward to seeing, but it's Christian duty that compels you to spend time with them to, and to pray for them. They cross your mind. It's like, ooh, that poor person's, but you pray for them. Paul, he smiles, and every time the Philippians cross his mind, they say, thank you, God, for having these people in my life, for the support, for the friendship, everything they've been to me. And so he says, whenever I pray anything for you, I pray it with joy. It's such a pleasure to ask God for things for you. And there are some, you know, let's just pray for your enemies. Uh, a prayer like, uh, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's a good prayer, but it's a hard prayer. You know, when you're praying that, you're suffering at their hands. Or they've done you dirty, uh, and we still pray for them. But Paul, he's, I pray for you with joy. It is such a pleasure to ask God for things for you, because I get excited about you receiving from God. And when he talks about the fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, that actually is a reference to their financial support. He'll spell that out a little later on. So I'm not going to dwell on it right now. But uh, he is, again, re referencing the fact that they supported him from pretty much the day they met Lydia. Now, he who began a good work in you will complete it. This, uh, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, you don't need to turn there if you don't want to, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Author and finisher, or the originator and perfecter of our faith. This is important, 
because we're going to read some things, not, we're not going to get to it this week, we're going to read some things later where Paul talks about striving and contending and reaching and then saying things like, I don't consider myself to have attained it yet. And if you're not reading carefully or you're not reading in context, not just the Philippians, but in context of everything else he's written, everything else in the word of God, it almost looks like what he's saying is, I'm going to work harder and harder and try harder and harder so that I can get to heaven. I'm not sure yet if I'm going, but I'm going to work hard to make sure I can be sure. That's not what he's saying. We know that, right? So, when he talks here about he who began a good work, the beginning of that good work is your salvation. He began a good work in you. The, the author of your faith. Your fa- the faith, uh, you look at the originator. When you speak those words of faith where you make Jesus Christ your Lord and you receive that gift of salvation, that happens. That is the new birth and it is a moment. It is a transformation, a new creation. But it's like the new birth. A baby is born. I mean, we know the moment. We don't just jot down the, oh, it was in such and such a month and such and such a year. We know the time a baby is born. But babies grow, right? There's more to, just, there's more to life than just being born. We grow. We mature. And it's this process that is the finishing of our faith, the perfecting of our faith. So the author of our faith or the beginning, he who began a good work, that's your salvation. The continue, the completion of that good work is your sanctification, is your growth, renewing of the mind, right? Growing in grace. There is a super important statement along this line, but it's not until chapter 2, so again, we won't get to it today, but I'll give you a hint. Cotter Godsamai shows up again. Actually, when we looked at that word in James, we looked over here to Philippians to get this use, use of the word because, again, it's very, very important, and it's super important to read this passage correctly. But let's move on for right now to, uh, uh, let's, uh, verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense, Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This, again, is kind of descriptive of this growing process. It's not enough just to say, I mean, it's enough for heaven to say, I got saved. I believed. I accepted Christ. Nobody is expected to stay there. We can't just say, I'm saved, and if you don't love me, that's between you and God. God loves me. No, this is God inspiring Paul to write this. I love you. I love that you're saved, but I want to see you growing. I want to see fruit from your labor. I want to see this developing into something. And how does that happen? It happens because God changes us as he grows us up. Did God begin a good work in us? Yes, when he saved us. He will be faithful to complete that work. What does that mean? It means you are not where God expects you to be a year from now. He expects you to grow. He expects you to do some things. And along the way, he expects that you will suffer. 
not sickness, not poverty and lack, but persecution. All right? It's a promise. And he's going to tackle that one head on. In fact, here he is. Where is Paul when he's writing this? In prison. But I want you to know, verse 12, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. What's he talking about here? He's saying he's in chains, he's in jail, and you've got people who come along, his friends who see him in chains, and they see his faithfulness, they see the fact that he has not changed his demeanor, he continues to speak and write and minister confidently so that even the palace guards and those whose business brought them into contact with Paul, they were moved. Some of them being saved. And his fellow ministers, his fellow believers are like, I'm encouraged. Have you seen Paul? He's the same Paul in jail as he is out of jail. And so they're emboldened. They're like, if he can be like that, if jail, if the, if the things they're doing to him hasn't stopped him, why, why should I be afraid? So they're emboldened to go out and do the things that Paul is, is uh, charging them with. Meanwhile, this is the weird part. It says others come along and preach Christ out of selfish ambition in order to afflict Paul, add to his afflictions. And I think what you have here probably Judaizers, maybe some Gnostics or some, some others, but in this case, it's probably Judaizers because they're actually preaching Christianity, but they have butt heads with Paul in the past. And we know the Judaizers did, right? But whoever, they see themselves in some kind of competition. They're jealous of his notoriety. They're jealous of his success, his office. And so they look and say, see, if Paul really was all that, then why did God allow him to be in jail? Let's get our eyes off Paul and pay attention to my ministry. And they'll, they, again, they, they, they use the fact that he's in prison and they sort of rub his face in that. Uh, even though they can't see that his ministry is actually prospering even while he's behind bars. But the gospel they're preaching is a good gospel. But Paul sees through and says they're preaching it to build their own ministry. Okay? But you know what the bottom line is, according to Paul? Either way, Christ is preached. It's win-win. It's win-win. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy. Many of you will know who I'm talking about. And it's with public knowledge. There was a book written about it. But I'm still not going to name him. But he was a well-known Christian comedian in the 70s and 80s. And he had an amazing testimony where he talked about how he went to Vietnam uh, and his roommates ministered to him, and he got saved, and he came back. And, uh, and just a very, very funny guy, told a great story. But then uh, he talks about his time. Uh, he has, uh, one of the things he was most famous for was uh, his deep involvement in the occult. He was a, a leader, according to his autobiography, of a, of a huge coven of uh, witches and whatnot. And, and uh, learned how to, I mean, just a full-on Satan worshiper. Until, and then he got saved, and uh, he uh, 
he would tell these stories and it would draw huge crowds and he led thousands of people. His concerts always ended with an altar call and, and I mean, people would flood the altar to get saved. And then he moved away from this, uh, his Satanism stuff and tried to do more straight comedy, but the crowds thinned out, so he went back to that part of his testimony. And meanwhile, you had two really top-notch uh, reporters, investigative reporters, checked out his story and found out that he made almost all of it up. He, 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 he did actually serve. He, he had enlisted in the, in the Navy or the Marine Corps, uh, but everything else about his military service was made up. Uh, no evidence whatsoever. They, they found pictures of him. You know, he describes, he gives these dates and years at this time. Here's how long my hair was. Here's how long my fingernails were. I looked like this. And they find pictures of him from those exact dates. And he's clean cut. Uh, none of these things. Uh, and they confronted him with it. And he couldn't answer. And it really caused things to fall apart, obviously. And they found some ways where he had been uh, it failed, uh, you know, there were, there was relationship sins, sexual sins, there was uh, financial mismanagement, all these things. And, and what, and then, so a number, all I said, all that to say this, there were people, I know people who came to me and said, I got saved in one of his concerts. That really, I would rather not know this about him. I said, I hear what you're saying. It's kind of, you remember the moment you came to Christ because of what this guy shared. But what this guy shared about Jesus Christ is still true. What he shared about himself wasn't. But he, the, the gospel he shared was the real gospel. He's going to have to stand before God and give an account for everything else. But every single person who came to Christ, who truly prayed the prayer of salvation at one of this guy's concerts, really did get saved. So Paul would say, praise God for that guy's ministry. All right, not the way I would have gone about it. Christ was still preached, even if other things were wrong with it. Same with these guys while Paul's in prison. So, uh, then let's, uh, let's read on here. I'm going to get to something for sure. In verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. What I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, with you all, for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now there's a lot of super important stuff here. I like verse 19 where he's placing a lot of confidence in the prayers of the Philippians, for his release. And he expects to be released from prison by Rome. He, the other option is he could be executed. But he expects to be released because of their prayers for him. He's, putting a, he's banking on their prayers and trusts them to pray faith-filled prayers. It reminds you of when, when uh, Peter was in jail, literally awaiting execution the next day. He's asleep between two guards. But constant prayer was being made for him by the saints. 
They were up praying all night, and they continued to pray right until he came and knocked on their door when the angel released him from prison. So, uh, but he also turns around and lets you know how he has absolutely no fear of death. I expect to be released from my chains because of your prayers. But my main concern is that Christ is glorified by me, in me, no matter what. Whether I live or whether I die. As long as I'm living, boy, what was, the, what was our main song this morning? Jesus at the center of it all. To live is Christ. That's what my life is about. And because I am so wrapped up with him right here, death can't be anything but a step in the right direction because that's when I see him again face to face. To live is Christ. To live here now is Christ. To die is to be with Christ. And that's why when he starts thinking about it in those terms, look, I want to stay. I want to stay here because of the work that I can do. Uh, And everything that that work means for you guys, the Philippians. But if you put the actual choice before me today, I got to say it's a tough one. I'm really hard pressed. Because if I leave, and I love the way he talks about it. I love the way, the language he uses. To depart and be with Christ. It's like, he's not dying, he's just leaving. And where's he going? Where are you going, Paul? You're departing, where are you going? I'm going to be with Christ. Because it's better. It's far better. To depart and be with Christ, which is Far better for me. Better for you if I stick around. And because I love you guys, I'm going to stick around. And I love the confidence. Again, he's speaking like this is all up to him. I'll I'll stick around a while. Very much imitating Jesus, isn't he? When Jesus says, you're not taking my life from me, Pilate. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. God's in charge here, not you. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to stick around because it's good for you. And I'm going to get joy out of seeing you continue to grow. But this is, there's a very crucial doctrinal point here that we're talking about. When he says to depart and be with Christ, we need to understand there's a doctrine out there. I think it's an incorrect doctrine. I don't think it's damnable heresy. I think there are good Christians who believe it that are wrong. But I don't think they're going to hell because they're wrong about this. But it's the doctrine of soul sleep. Have you heard of this? Where when you die, you, are, you enter into a state of unconsciousness until the general resurrection. And then when Jesus comes back, when the dead are raised, that's when we awaken to new life. Uh, now, of course, there's tons of anecdotal evidence about people who have died, have maybe get, gotten a glimpse of heaven. I believe people have. I don't like to put a lot of I don't, put. I refuse to put a lot of uh, weight on that, or a lot of, I don't lean on that too hard for, for doctrine because experiences can be, you know, a little untrustworthy. But, according to Paul, right, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ. He doesn't say it here, but later, uh, elsewhere, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this is what it is. Now, the question is, and you know, I wish there were a chapter. I wish there were a book of the Bible. Here's what happens when you die, and here's the order it all happens in. 
okay? Your spirit goes to heaven, your body goes to the grave, and then, and, and this is what it looks like. We, spiritually, we are with Christ. It is, a very, it is a manifest reality. I believe we can see, we can speak, we are real. We just don't have physical bodies. We, you know, it's, a, it's a spiritual existence, but the promise at the general resurrection is that we receive new and glorified bodies, but we do. We see glimpses in Revelation of the spirits in heaven. How long, O oh Lord? And I think there's this longing for the completeness of, of total restoration, including a glorified body. It's still a glorious place to be. But I believe spiritually we are conscious and aware and alive in heaven from the moment we die. But that we will come back at the general resurrection when Jesus returns to receive our glorified bodies. And then, but you know, again... I wish it were spelled out. And then at this point, then there's the new heaven, the new earth. There's, this is what it looks like. We just can be confident that death is not the end. Death is simply a step into the spiritual presence of Christ. And it is far better than this. Far better than this even at the best. Certainly far better than being in prison, right? Now, uh, and it's, it's, it's enough to know that. That to die here means to live there. And to uh, live there means being with Christ in a way we have never experienced. Most of us, certainly many of us, okay, we, we all know Dr. He's, he's, he's with us, right? He's in us. He lives, he lives in me. And when we gather together, we experience Christ in a very real way. Okay, there are ways we can experience the presence of Jesus Christ, absolutely. But nothing like what it's going to be when we are in his presence when we die, when we depart. Far, far better. Let's go ahead and wrap this chapter up. We've got time. Only let your conduct, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Now, remember when he wrote to the Corinthians about how I'm going to come see you guys. And it's up to you how it's going to be when I get there. I'm sending you this letter so that you can jerk the slack out, shape up, get right, so that we can have a joyful reunion. But if you don't get right, I'm coming with a rod. Daddy's home. And he's going to start swinging, okay? Let's don't have it be like that. There's not a hint of that here with the Philippians. It's just like, man, I love you guys. I want you to just keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you're doing, whether I'm there or whether I'm not. And just how he trusts them to be loving, mature, unified believers. No threats, nothing else. And he's saying, pointing to his own situation and what he just said about eternity. Hey, this eternity, this eternal stuff, it's real. So don't be afraid when you're persecuted. If you find yourself in the same position I am, remember how it's affected me and remember how I used even this situation to continue preaching the gospel. 
your behavior in the face of persecution will be a witness even to your tormentors. This is what he's saying. The people who, are, who come at them and try to instill fear in them, their, the Philippians' confident response will simply be used, uh, would be used to convict or prove the lostness of the people who are persecuting them. Proof of their perdition, their damnation. And it's also going to solidify your confidence in your own salvation and make it evident to the ones who are not yet saved. Christ himself told you you would suffer persecution and it really is an honor to suffer on his behalf. And Paul's saying this, as you see me in prison, suffering, but totally at peace and full of joy. Joy is the theme of Philippians. And so that even when he's talking about execution being a possibility, even though he's in chains, behind bars, what he's saying, what you see coming through bigger than anything else, is joy. I have found the secret of being joyful, and it has nothing to do with where you're going to sleep tonight. Fearlessness. It is not the most exciting word or concept in the Bible, but it is one of the most important. Peter wrote a whole uh, letter about it. And Paul's talking about it here. Do you know what it is? It's stability. Stability. Oh, there's times for rejoicing. There's times for weeping. I'm not talking about lack of emotion. I'm talking about how certain core principles guide our response to moments of crisis and moments of joy. And Paul's saying, I am the way I am, not because I happen to have a lot of money at this point, and that changes when I don't have a lot of money. I am the way I am, not because I happen to be free and on my way to see people I want to see, and then that goes away now that I'm in prison and I can't go. He said, no, since Christ is at the core of that, and my relationship with Christ is solid, and it, it can't be taken away from me, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I have or don't have right now. It doesn't matter where I am or where I can't go right now, because Christ, to live, is Christ. So, I'm full of joy, because ultimately I know that no matter what, the absolute worst that can happen here equates to the absolute best thing that could happen. I get to be face-to-face with the one who is the center of my joy right now. So you can't do anything to me. You cannot steal my joy. Do you want that kind of stability? Stand up with me, everybody. You want that kind of stability in your life? Are things shaky? Do you feel like you're on a seesaw? You, get, you wake up, you remember something. You remember an attack. You remember a struggle, something that's going on in your life. And you get this sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. You can have peace, you can have joy in the middle of the worst circumstances in this life. But I can't give it to you. The government can't give it to you. Nobody can give it to you. And it doesn't matter what you think is the key. Everything would just be better if I had a million dollars. Everything would just be better if I weren't fighting this. No, you can change. You make a list of all the things you think would make things better. I promise you, you are still on shaky ground if your joy, if your outlook is built on anything other than what Paul's talking about here. To live is Christ. 
you have that and it doesn't matter so many other circumstances that Jesus talked about that the wind and the waves beat against that house but if the foundation is strong the house will stand if you want that kind of stability I can't give it to you but I am God is giving it to you he's offering it to you I'm just his mouthpiece right now if you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord confessed him as Lord that's what it says if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you'll be saved not just saved from hell although it is certainly that it is saved from the instability that we that really defines the world we live in one of the best ways that our lights can shine in this world is to be models of that kind of joyous stability while the world around us is thrown into chaos and instability solid as a rock that's the life that Jesus Christ offers. That's the life that he went to the cross. He died to offer you that life. If you want it, if you've never made that decision, never received it, you've never acknowledged your need for it, because we all do, do it today. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.